face away, Michaela.
Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? I was thinking as we were singing, on the count of three, why don't you give Jesus the biggest praise you possibly can without making any noise? One, two, three. No, you're making noise. You're making noise. Now we're going to try again. One, two, three. You look so stupid. <laughs> uh, pretty hard, eh? Pretty hard to praise God without making any noise. The Bible says with the confession of our mouth. The confession of our mouth. Why don't we give Jesus a big praise this time with our voices and our hands. Yes. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. we give this time to you and it's our privilege to do so we just push aside the thoughts that are on the left the right what's coming up this week what we've just come out of today we lay it all down and we turn our attention to you tonight we want to bring honor and glory to you we want you to be famous and Lord I know in the process you're going to speak to us you're going to encourage us you'll challenge us you'll spur us on and I know that you've got a plan for each of our lives which is a good plan Actually, it's an incredible plan. It's a plan of hope. And so thank you for your presence amongst us. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're living in each of us, that you're resting on each of us tonight. It is such a privilege to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you say hi to a couple of people around you. Tell them they're looking great. Tell them made a very good decision coming to church tonight. It's fantastic to see you tonight. If you're uh, visiting with us for the evening, it's great to have you here. Welcome. I hope you relax. Enjoy yourself. Church, can we please give our guests tonight a big welcome? Thank you. It is wonderful to have Shane Willard again with us this evening. Thank you, Shane. Wonderful. Now, I had a couple of comments this morning from people that um, didn't manage to get notes down, etc., on the page uh, because Shane can go quite fast sometimes and they weren't quick enough. You reckon? <laughs> so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the questions and stuff off Shane that he had on the up here this morning. I'll send them out of my pastor's desk this week. So if you're not subscribed to my pastor's desk, you need to. How do they do that? Just ring the office. If you get the e-news, you will get my pastor's desk. If you don't get pastor's desk or the e-news, just ring the office, give them your email, and that will come out. It'll also have the link on it for the podcast, so you'll be able to re-listen to it while you look at the questions. Good? That'll be helpful, eh? So that's good news. And um, we'll hear more, more from Shane soon. That'll be fantastic. By the way, Shane and I have just confirmed dates for next year, so that's pretty good, isn't it? We're lucky. Well, we're blessed. We got his last weekend of the year that's not booked. 
So God is on our side. Anyone had a birthday or an anniversary in the last week? Come on, come on. It must be just this week. We've got hardly any this morning as well. Crazy. I'm trying to work backwards in my head. Hey, okay, well, I've got some highlights for you. We are celebrating and we are championing our global missions uh, mandate at the moment. And our mandate as a church for global missions is this, activating community transformation by making disciples, establishing and strengthening churches based on a global apostolic and prophetic mandate to extend His kingdom as directed by the Holy Spirit. And we are involved with stuff all around the world as a church. And it's awesome. It's fantastic. And uh, there's great things happening. And what we've done this week, and I say we, I should really say Elska this year, has created a postcard for each of our missionaries to highlight uh, some things we can be praying for for them. They're out in the foyer if you, I think this is the fourth one. And uh, this week it's Robin Rhea, Gamerik. And um, they are in Indonesia and they work with hard to um, reach people groups there up in Sumatra. And uh, these guys do an incredible job in difficult circumstances. And uh, we've been partnered with them for over 20 years. And um, it is a great partnership. I've had uh, the privilege of visiting Rob on a number of occasions, seeing firsthand. Actually, if you've been around for a little while, you remember, uh, well, you may remember, on the, I think it was the, We've been supporting them 21 years, and they had an opportunity to buy a whole new Bible college facility. So we um, jumped in behind that, and then last time I got to see it almost all renovated and usable, and they've done an incredible job there. And and what they do is, normally it's all Christians that come in and and, and are their students, but they've started doing these things where they actually have young Muslims who have just given their hearts to Christ coming in, and it causes all sorts of chaos. But for the ones that come in, and particularly, they can be really persecuted for it. But uh, incredible work that they're doing. So get that, pray for them, will be awesome. There's two other cards. This one here is so that you can write the one with the balloon on to any of our missionaries. It's got space on the back. You can write them a note of encouragement, tell them they're doing a great job, we're thinking about them, we're praying for them. And if you put it in the boxes at the doors or the red box, we will collate them and send them all off to them. So that's that one. The last one is this one. That is our faith promise card. And it's time to start to get these in now. I really encourage you. In fact, I, I, I please, please, please be part of what we're doing with Global Missions. If Activate Church is your home church, you need to be involved with this because this is what we do. And um, uh, faith promise giving. So basically, pray, ask God what He would have you sow into Global Missions this year. And then put the number on the card. No one's going to check up with you. This card helps us do the budget. That's really all there is to it. But if you put the amount on the card, put it in a box so we can see. And then in faith, Start to give and believe God to make up the difference, wherever it is. God tells you to give $300,000, write that on the card. And people laugh when I say that, but some people can give $300,000, they won't miss it. They can just sow into the kingdom. Fantastic, because it's a gift on their life, generosity. So, um, So fill out whatever the amount is. 
then set up a way of paying that and expect God to come through and make up the difference. And I encourage you, you'll see Him work on your behalf. Last thing I want to talk to you about, School of the Spirit. It's coming up first weekend of July, first and second, I think it is. First and second of July. Last year, the reports after School of the Spirit that this was life-changing for people uh, came in. And I want to encourage you to be part of it. It's, uh, we've got Helen Calder coming from Australia. She's a prophet to help us with this. By the time you leave this weekend, you will um, know what it is to move in the Holy Spirit. You will have prophesied. You will have been encouraged and coached along the way. And uh, this will be fantastic. And there is only limited numbers. Once it's full, it's full. So you're going to have to move quickly because other Activate churches will be coming to this as well. Good, eh? Fantastic. Well, we're going to celebrate communion together tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. Jared, are you leading us around communion tonight? That would be awesome. How about giving Jared a massive big hand? Did, did I see on the screen before that you are starting a young adult professional group? Do you want to? Yeah, yeah, it was up there. Look, there it is. Far out. There you go. And this is Jared who's leading that, I think. So if you want to give it a plug, you can. Yeah. Well, we haven't set a date yet. Um, so I don't know how that got up there. Well, it wasn't by my asking. So anyway, probably Peter Height. Naughty. Yeah. Anyway, g'day. I'm, uh, as you know now, uh, Jared, I'm a uh, leader young adults group with. Um, Aram up on stage, it's a real good bunch of guys, and um, for communion I thought I'd just look at, to real start us off, um, is the, the first communion, and I'm reading from uh, Luke 22, uh, verse 19 to 20, it says, he took some bread and gave thanks to it for God, uh, gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. For me, the cross is, is quite bittersweet. I, I feel great sadness when I think that Jesus was put under the, you know, the, the, the most torturous execution known to man, and he did it all for us. And, and he did it all for us, and we were also the ones that put him there. It blows my mind that even if, even if people don't believe, believe in him or love him, he still would have died for them, just for that chance. And, um, and I also think of, um, the, I guess the sweet is that the, the blood of Jesus that was spilt was, is, is our covering. And it's our cleansing. Like in Exodus, when the Jews put blood over the door frames to stop the angel of death, so we are covered with Jesus' blood. The, tap, the, the power of death has been broken from that. And so I've, oh, I didn't write the, the reference here, but, um, O oh death, where is, your vic- uh, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? And this time I'd like you to just remember the, the great sacrifice that, that Jesus has done for us. And remember that because of it, now we're now right with God. 
So I'll pray, pray to close and, and afterwards I'll let you guys take the emblems in your own time. Father, thank you so much for sending your son for us. Thank you that we now have victory over death and have nothing to fear. Father, I pray for everyone gathered here that uh, pray for a greater understanding of what it means uh, of, of your sacrifice, but also of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. about to sing a song called um, Wairua Tapu and um, I wonder if you, if you could just put the words up for me, that'd be, that'd be great so it says Wairua Tapu Kunu Mai No Mai Ki Konei and then it goes on to say Wairua Tapu Aharia Korero Mai Ano and if you go to the next slide, what's the saying is in English, it's saying Holy Spirit welcome, you are welcome here and guide us Holy Spirit, speak to us again now, obviously the Holy Spirit's already here, but this, I believe, is our prayer to, to invite Him in, just to say, Holy Spirit, come and do what you will. And I wonder if you'll, you'll sing that with me.
not just the voices. If you've been looking for joy, now's the time. God's just going to rain it down on you. Just open your heart. When it comes to bad weeks, I've had a pretty bad one, but I know that right now God's good. God's good. Take his joy. Just receive it. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord.
God tonight and just listen for a couple of minutes. stand in his presence together with the only agenda being to worship him. Lift him up. Because he's worthy. He is worthy. Well, tonight it gives me great pleasure and privilege to introduce Shane said if you've been around it all over the weekend Shane and I've been friends for a long time now and uh, it's really it's been amazing watching the way God has used Shane not only in our country where he's been had profound effect really but around the world and the doors that are opening up to him and I consider that we are very very privileged to have him with us this weekend he's got way more invitations that he's gone then he's got weekends and um, the fact that he said yes to be here with us for the weekend is a great privilege so I invite you to turn your ears on open your hearts apprehend what God's saying to us tonight and um, why don't you give Shane a big hand as he comes thank you very much you can be seated if you have the type likes to follow in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. And my, my friend, I left my, I left my clicker thing right there. Yeah. 
Genesis chapter 4, we'll get there in, uh, in just a second. It's been an honor to be with you as always, and I can't wait to journey with you over the next, uh, the coming years as well. I mean, it, we'll just, we'll have some fun and we'll journey together. If this is your first meeting over the weekend, um, this is all I do for a living. I travel around. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor with his rabbi training as well, so my stuff comes from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I, I, can, I can do that side of it as well. On, on your way out, there's a giant resource table set up there. Um, everything's available in CD, DVD, USB, and direct download. The profit from that goes to our main mission in the world, which is to take care of the poor and the afflicted. It's to confront oppression. It's to educate, feed, clothe, and shelter mentally handicapped children in China. It's to get girls off the street in Cape Town, South Africa. That's how we do that. So if on your way out tonight, if you'd come by, say hello, grab something that'll change the way you look at God, and in so doing, you help me feed, clothe, and educate, and, um, and shelter these people that, that wouldn't have it w- without it. So come by and do that. I do know you have a chatting culture, so, uh, so if you could do me a favor tonight, because, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's been quite a day. If you could buy first and then chat, that'd be awesome. Um, and so all I'm going to do is um, we're just going to keep the table open for about 10 minutes. 10 minutes is plenty of time. If you know you're going to get something, to come out there and get something. Because I, I want to be kind to, to uh, my lovely volunteers and, you know, just, you know, just want to be thoughtful to that. So come on out there and, um, and check, that, check that out. All right, so tonight I want to talk to you about being set free from envy, jealousy, and comparison. All right, so I want to talk to you about that. And here's what I mean by that. I am not the only person in the room who has been guilty at times of looking right and left instead of in and up to get my value, right? So what happens is, is we get stuck determining where we are by looking right and looking left instead of looking in and up. And when that happens, what I like to call that is being stuck in the land of er, richer, thinner, fitter, smarter, important er, right? So it's this, it's this sort of thing. And so we look right and we look left and we aspire, instead of aspiring to become the best us we could be, we aspire to outdo that person. And so we, we get looking at er this and er that. And the problem with that is, is that for every er, there's always an est, right? All right, so, so if you look, if you, if you think, I wonder how I'm doing with money. And, and instead of looking in and up, you look right and left. If you look to the right, there's gonna be people richer than you. And, and the issue is, is you, say, you know what, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to get richer myself. Can you get richer? Of course you can. And what if you, what if you suddenly came into $5 million? Are you richer? Yes, you are. Are you richest? Absolutely not. You're a long, long, long way off that. So the problem with getting our value from looking right and left instead of in and up is there's always someone on the other end. The other side of it is there's always someone poorer than you. It, for every smarter, there's always someone dumber. For every fitter, there's always someone fatter, right? And so what happens is, is when we look one way, we feel superior. When we look the other way, we feel inferior. And we get stuck in this rut. We get stuck in, in, in prison to envy, jealousy, and comparison. And I'm telling you, it will destroy our lives. Envy is strictly forbidden in Scripture, 11 to 12 times more in Scripture than homosexuality is. 
It's strictly forbidden more than lots and lots and lots of other things that we like to harp on. Envy is something that should make us all sit straight up and go, you know what, let's see what God has to say about this because this is something that if we don't defeat it, we could get stuck in the land of Ur for a very, very long time. And I want to see if I can bring some insight and help us do that. This is a, envy is so ubiquitous to all of us. It actually shows up all over the place in the biblical narrative. It actually shows up in literally the first relational story. Uh, this is uh, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, here we go. It helps to turn that on, doesn't it? That'd be good. There we go. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. Obviously, they're skipping a lot of details there, right? So, so she gives birth, and the next thing you know, one's a herdsman and one is a farmer, all right? Um, in, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, but notice his offering was the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So, so Cain's offering was some of the fruit of the ground, Abel's offering was the first portions for the firstborn of the fat portions of his flock. So in one sense, one brother is giving the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And the other brother's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to give some of the fruit of the ground. Now, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. In other words, what's going on here is not an innocuous thing that you can just ignore, Cain. This is something that you must rule over. This is God absolutely going Dr. Phil on Cain. He said, listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This, if what I'm seeing here manifests itself out, this is not an innocuous thing. This is something that if you don't overcome this, bro, this is something that desires to eat you alive. This is something that is not good for you. Now, a couple of observations about this. At this time in history, there were no regulations for the offerings. Like, are we supposed to assume that God enjoys meat instead of vegetables? Like, th th that is not the point. I, my Sunday school teacher told me that, uh, that, that God uh, disapproved of Cain's offering because it had no blood in it. And actually, that has nothing to do with this at all. At this time in history, there was nothing written down about what to give. The issue wasn't what they gave. And the word offering here is not a blood offering. The word offering here is a bickering or a teruma offering. This was something, a very small portion that was meant to be given to the Spirit spiritual head over your life. It's a very, it's one fortieth, very small portion. And at this time in history, it would have been given to the father as the priest of the home. The issue isn't the content of the offering. The issue was the condition of the heart in giving the offering. Cain gives some of the fruit of the ground, but Abel gives the fat portions from the first portions of the firstborn. So even with no regulations written down, Abel has his head around what it means to be generous. And Cain's like, yeah, 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 I'll just give as an afterthought. The problem with Cain, one rabbi I said it this way. Cain's issue wasn't what he gave. It was the apathy of which he gave it. It's the hard attitude that says, you know what? If I give, I give. If I go to a movie, I go to a movie. What, whatever. It was that kind of thing. Abel prioritized generosity, but Cain did not have his head around this, and that's what God approved of or disapproved of. Actually, later in Leviticus reveals that vegetables were an acceptable offering if you were a farmer, which makes complete in total sense. Now, I want you to notice something else. When God confronts Cain, he doesn't confront his offering. Why? Because there's nothing to confront. He, he doesn't know what to give. He confronts his mood. He confronts his temperament. Hey, why is your face downcast? Why are you angry? 
Now, if you're a leader in any way, or especially if you're a parent, you understand this, right? Have you ever, has somebody ever walked into your presence and their face was telling a different story than their mouth, right? And so you go, hey, what's the matter with you? Nothing. Well, tell your face that then, because if what's going on in your heart is, is, if what I'm seeing on your face is actually going on in your heart, this is not something to mess around with, man. Do not do this. God confronts Cain's temperament, his mood, his disposition. God warns Cain that this attitude, the attitude of his heart, will lead him to something very destructive. I'll say it this way. It seems like God is more interested in the postures of our heart that lead to sin than he is in any actual individual sin. And of course, if you've been around church at all, you know the end of the story, and you know it just doesn't end well. Watch what happens. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Now, I I want to sort of unpack this because this is what envy does. And I think we'll find it to be true in our own life. And I think if we can unpack this, we can be given some strategies on how to defeat it. Because if you don't know how to defeat envy, it will destroy you. A couple of observations about this. One, envy and comparison lead us to violence. So if we don't deal with envy and comparison, it's not the issue of envy. It's where it leads. It's what happens when it eats us alive. What happens with envy and comparison and jealousy is this. Normally reasonable people rationalize being violent when they normally wouldn't. That's what you see. You see normally rational people actually becoming okay with a behavior that under normal circumstances they would not be okay. With In extreme circumstances, you can see murder in lots of places still today. You see, you, see, you see at least once a year a high schooler making the news for killing another high schooler over a girl, right? Why? Because normally reasonable people, when envy and jealousy and comparison go unchecked in our heart, it leads us to violence. Let's say it this way. When we think that someone else has something better, it leads us to envy and violence. And, and this happens gradually. And, and what the scriptures teach us is that, is that sin, this idea, it's not something that's innocuous and just goes away on its own. This thing is crouching at the door and it is not something to leave alone. It desires to eat us alive because it can lead us down a road of violence. And this is not an isolated incident in scripture either. You have Cain killing Abel. Why? unchecked envy, anger, jealousy, violence in his heart. Envy led him to violence. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. Uh, here's a few examples. There, there's one time where, uh, where Abraham is a very old guy, and he gets promised to have a kid, and he doesn't believe God that he's going to have a kid, so he sleeps with the younger woman because the younger woman can, can bear a child. And it turns out that the, the younger woman, her name was Hagar, she ends up bearing the child, but then after that, Sarah gets pregnant. And, and it comes to Sarah's attention one day, wait a minute, no matter what, even though this is a miracle, because my husband jumped the gun here, here's what happened. He said, she, she said, no matter what I do, Hagar is going to bear Abraham's firstborn. Doesn't matter what I do because the time isn't there. And a normally reasonable person like Sarah, what she ended up doing is she rationalized banishing Hagar into the ancient Middle Eastern wilderness. Now, when you take a single pregnant woman and you banish her into the wilderness of the ancient Near East, what is going to happen to her? She's going to have to prostitute herself just to live. A normally reasonable person rationalizes violence when we don't deal with envy. It happens again when Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright. 
It happens over what? Over envy, over his father's favor for one over the other. It happens again with a guy named Joseph. Joseph had 11 brothers. And here's the thing, that, that his dad favored Joseph over all the rest, bought him a special coat. Now, that's really bad parenting, but the point is, 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 that, is, that, is that over, listen, over a coat of many colors, which can we just be honest, is that really that compelling? Over a coat of many colors, his 11 brothers rationalized selling him into slavery in the ancient Near East. How does that happen? How does 11 normally reasonable people rationalize and become okay with sending someone into slavery in the ancient Middle East over a coat? Why? Because when we don't check envy and jealousy in our heart, it leads us to rationalizing violence. And rationalizing violence leads us to a destroyed life. This happens over and over and over again. Saul tries to skewer David with a spear. Here's what happened. David brings cheese to his brothers. There's a giant there threatening Israel. David says, I'll take care of this. He goes out with a slingshot, kills the giant, becomes a national hero, saves Israel untold resources, fighting an unnecessary war. You would think Saul would kiss him for that, but it doesn't. It says that Saul was consumed with envy and jealousy over David's favor with the people to the point where he had to hire David to play a harp to soothe his soul from his envy about David. And he gives in one day and he takes a spear and he tries to skewer David with a spear. Saul, a normally rational person, someone completely capable in the eyes of God to lead an entire nation, all of a sudden gets consumed with envy and jealousy and rationalizes extreme violence. It happens over and over and over again. Listen to me, this is so important. If we don't deal with envy and jealousy in our heart, we will find ourselves rationalizing things that will destroy our life. It is crouching at the door and it desires to have us. Some of the most violent, ridiculous attacks are rooted in envy and jealousy. And you know what? Right now, we don't even need the Bible to tell us this, although I'm glad it does. The truth is, if you ask yourself about your life, you know that there's been times where envy and jealousy went unchecked in your own heart and you found yourself rationalizing extreme violence. You've gossiped about people. We've slandered people. We've actually taken people's private stuff and put it on the internet for all to see. Are you kidding me? These are normally reasonable people rationalizing excessive violence. Why? Because of unchecked envy. You know you've done it, and you know what? You know it's been done to you. And the truth of it is, is when someone does it to you, when someone has unchecked envy towards your life, and they start lashing out with violence, it stinks. It does not feel nice at all. One of my closest friends in ministry today, it almost didn't happen, and here's why. A pastor who I have never met called him and said this to him, I don't know how you're having Shane Willard. He charges a minimum of $10,000 just to leave his home. How are you getting him? Well, the guy on the other end of the phone panics, right? I've never met him before. I, I'd just been booked there for the first time. And instead of canceling me with an anonymous email making up some reason, he had the courage to have a courageous conversation. And he called me and he said, Shane, I need to tell you, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I said, bro, listen, I've never even met you. Whatever you did, it's fine, right? He said, no, no, no. He said, I booked you and I, for, I forgot. I didn't think to ask for your fee. And I found out this week what your fee is. 
and I am scared to death. I need to ask for your forgiveness because I'm telling you, we will do a really good job. I understand that it's the only way you make a living in this world is people's kindness with the honorarium. I also understand you give your, your, pre, your product table away. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is no feasible way without some kind of big thing happening that we're going to be able to give you $10,000. And I know now that that's your fee. Would you please forgive me for booking you and not asking your fee, would you please consider coming without that fee? I said, bro, I've never charged a fee in my life. I preach in Tokoroa. Are you kidding me right now? I don't say yes or no based on money. I say yes or no because people matter. Not one time in 13 years have I ever charged a pastor a fee. He goes, really? I said, no. He said, man, this pastor called me, man. He acted really confident. It wasn't like, hey, I heard this. It was like a fact. I said, has he ever met me? He said, I don't think so. I said, well, you need to call him and have a conversation and ask him what the heck's going on here. Why would you lash out like that? See, we, we can all tell stories, especially from high school and other times in our life when we, at work, when we get the promotion and someone else thinks they deserve the promotion, normally rational people start lashing out in violence. When, when the relationship works here, but it doesn't work so well here, normally rational people start lashing out in violence. And God is very clear about this from the beginning of time. If we don't check this, it can and will destroy us. There, there's an ancient rabbinical parable about the power of envy in our life. And it's not in the Bible, nor am I saying it should be. I'm just saying it's pretty good. And, and this is what it says. It's a, it, this, is a, this is a made-up story. It's, it's a parable to illustrate a point. It says there was a king, and the king was having trouble. Uh, his kingdom was falling apart. And the reason that the kingdom was falling apart was there was a greedy subject and an envious subject in his kingdom. And the greedy subject, all he wanted to do was hoard and hoard and hoard all the resources of the kingdom for himself. And the envious subject was doing everything he could do to outdo the greedy subject. So he had one subject hoarding everything for himself and an envious subject trying to outdo <clears throat> the greedy subject. So here's what he did. The king called the two subjects in and said, hey, tired of you guys carrying on like this. So here's the deal. I'm going to fix this right now. I'm going to give whoever speaks first. Now listen to me carefully. Whoever speaks first, I'm going to give you whatever you ask. The entire resources of the whole kingdom is at your disposal. Whoever speaks first, I'm giving you whatever you want. But you have to be okay with me giving the other one twice as much. Right? Well, this played right into the greedy person's hands. He's like, this is fantastic. All I got to do is be quiet. And whatever the envious person asks for, I'm going to get a double dose. He tells the envious person, he's like, I'm not speaking. You make the call, bro. But whatever you ask for, just remember... I'm getting a double dose, and he sat there quietly. Well, this put the envious person in an entire, it's just, it's just a predicament, a conundrum, because the envious person had the resources of the entire kingdom at his disposal, but he had to decide, what am I okay asking for that I would be okay with the other person getting twice as much? And after much deliberation, the envious person said, oh, king, I can have anything I ask for. The king said anything, but I'm going to give him a double dose of it. And the envious person said, I would want you to put one of my eyes out. which, in case you're not following, would leave the other person blind. Now, here's the deal. That's the power of envy in our life. 
When we don't deal with envy, the entire resources of the kingdom can be at our disposal, and we would still hurt ourselves just to see someone else hurt worse. Envy and comparison lead us to rationalizing violence, and rationalizing violence can destroy our life. So let's, let's start dealing with a little bit of some working definitions so we maybe can deal with this a little better. One, envy is desiring some quality, status, power, success, or happiness that another person has. But envy goes a step further. It desires them to fail because of it. This is that really dark side of us that every now and then Googles people's names hoping to find something that they're going through. This is that dark side of us that every now and then picks a big pastor's name and Googles it to see what the latest gossip is. This is that kind of nonsense. This is that kind of cowardly, sitting behind a keyboard, anonymous, just coward stuff. This is, this is rooted in envy. It, 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 it looks at their life and goes, I want what they have, but I'm not willing to pay the price for what they have, nor is it necessarily on my life. So because I don't have what they have, I want them to suffer for it. Now, this is so important. Envy is, about, is not about the object. It's about the person. In, in other words, here, here's the problem. Envy believes that if they no longer existed, somehow I would have what they have. But, but this just never works. When, when, when Cain kills Abel, is suddenly God okay with Cain's greediness? No. If Saul succeeds in killing David, is suddenly Saul now the national hero instead of David? Of course not. David would even be more heroic if you martyr him. Is, is, is Joseph's brothers, are they suddenly finding more favor with their father now that Joseph is out of the way? No, it just guaranteed that their father's going to live in grief for the rest of his life. See, envy believes if I hurt you, somehow I'll benefit from it. But it's a lie that promises something that it can never, ever deliver. Whatever the guy that tried to hurt me with the other pastor, whatever he was trying to accomplish with that, if I died tomorrow, he's not going to have what I have on my life. That it doesn't work that way. If, if you've ever overreacted over a relationship breakup, you know that the more you overreact, the more you guarantee that this thing ain't getting back together because you're acting like a flipping lunatic, right? It doesn't produce the thing you want it to produce. It's about the person, not the object. Now, let, let's say it this way. Envy is widespread because it's the easiest to hide and the hardest to admit. Like, like the church years ago gave us something called the seven deadly sins. Essentially, the seven habits of the heart that pose the most damage to culture, society, and what Jesus is up to. Things like sloth, laziness, gluttony, envy, pride, greed, lust, missing one, but nonetheless. Envy, envy of them all, envy is the easiest to hide and the hardest to admit, which makes it the most widespread. Like, like if you have a small group of friends who help you work through things, right? And you're like, guys, listen, I don't want darkness to overtake me. I, I want to confess to my small group of friends, not on Facebook, not out loud in public, just to two or three, four, five, six of your best friends. Say, you know what? I've got some things going on in my heart, and I need to get this sorted. Listen, I just need to tell everybody I struggle with gluttony. Look, if gluttony is your issue, no one's surprised, right? They're like, really, you? Your blood type's gravy. Are you kidding me right now, right? And, and no one really cares. We overlook gluttony, right? Even though it's strictly forbidden in Scripture 25 times more than homosexuality. If, if we're a habitual overeater, the church now is like, oh, well, we all overeat. This is New Zealand, right? That's what we do. It's, it's, so it's sort of out there. If you said, you know what? I struggle with pride. I, I occasionally think more of myself than I should. 
everybody understands that. We're like, oh, well, welcome to the human race. Or, or if you said, you know what, I, I struggle with lust. I, I have an occasional lustful thought. I really don't want that to fester inside of me. I really want to m- get that right. No, no one's going to hold that against you. People are like, you know what, if you claim that you don't lust, honestly, you're a liar. And that's a whole nother issue, right? We understand that. But if you were to say out loud, hey, guys, hey, I'm struggling with envy, right? Well, there's something creepy about that. People are like, ooh, envy, creepy. Ooh, get, stay, away, stay away from him. It, it's, it's the easiest to hide, and it's the hardest uh, to admit. It, it, also, it also is very revealing about our darkest side. This is that dark, evil stuff that no one sees going on in our heart. This is that part that every now and then Google someone's name to find if they have a problem. Or, or worse, and let me, I'll, I'll give you a story to illustrate this. This is just dark, right? The, 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 and, and in this particular story, but I want to be clear about this. Men and women struggle evenly with envy. But this particular story, I'm applying it to women, and it should apply to the whole room, but women will understand it better than men because of the nature of the story. Here, here's the, it, it, do you women, you ladies, do you remember junior high school, right? You remember like when you turned 13, like in seventh grade? You, you remember, can you go back in your imagination to your, to your junior high school days, you know, that seventh, that sixth, seventh, eighth grade sort of year, that, that, that kind of thing? And remember, there was that one girl, there was that one girl that started developing before everybody else. Remember that, right? Right? I mean, she, you show up, you come back from summer break, and everybody else is still the same, but boy, has she changed, right? And everything in you goes, oh no, right? And you're like, you're like praying to God at night, please God, please God, please God, right? Right? And, 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 and what happens? What, what happens with that girl? That girl, because she developed first, is now getting all the attention from boys, Right? right? She's getting all the, all the junior high dances and stuff. She's getting asked by, by eight, nine, 10, 12 guys. She's got her pick. She's got the pick of it, right? And you're like trying to convince your cousin to go, right? It's, and it's, and it's, it's one of those things. And the reason is, is that she developed first. And, and then what happens to that poor girl? Just because she developed first, what happens to her? People start hating her, right? And so they convince themselves she's mean and horrible and nasty and mean girls and all, all, all this stuff, right? But really she's not. She just sort of developed early and you're envious because you didn't. And you're like praying to God, God, why, God, why? But, but it doesn't really matter because, because she, she, she developed first, right? And so all through high school, she doesn't shake the stigma. She's like the hated girl in, 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 the, in the whole room because she's blonde-haired, she's blue-eyed, she's got a great figure, she's getting all the, the attention from all the boys, and you're like, man, come on, God, you're giving me, uh, uh, and you want what she has. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's where it gets really dark, right? So now you're 45, right? And you haven't seen her in years, but you know what? You just happen to run into her at the New World Supermarket. And you run into her, and you're like, hey, I know you. And you're like, oh, I know you. And then you realize who it is, right? And here she is right in front of you, and she's 60 kilos overweight, and she looks scraggly, and she didn't even bother to not go out in sweatpants, right? And, 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 and it's something inside of you, something inside of you, something very dark goes, yes. <laughs> yes, you peaked in high school. Ha ha. Dark. That's dark stuff. That's what envy does. That's what envy does. And you know what perpetuates envy? Facebook. Let, let me tell you what Facebook is. Here, it just, let, me, let me give you some insight into this. All social media, Facebook, Instagram, all of this, and however it's tied together, it is voyeurism for people's best side. So, so if right now, if you think, Oh, yeah, I wonder how Susie is doing, right? So if, you're, if you think of that, if for some reason her name came to your mind, right? Or you think about some guy from high school, you think, I wonder how he's doing. What would you do? You'd go home tonight, and you would Facebook his name, right? So you get on Facebook, and, and you search 
or his name. And it's likely because you grew up together that there's going to be some mutual friend and Facebook will, will find him. Now, now you click on John's name or, or Susie's name or whoever. You click on it. And what are you going to see? You're going to see photos of what? Their best possible side, right? You're not going to see their real life, right? So here's what you see on Facebook. You see photos of the guy standing in front of the new BMW. And he's like, hey, check out my new BMW, right? You know what no one ever posts? The invoice for what the monthly payment is for that BMW, where you're paying 8% interest. Is something going to lose 50% of its value in three years. You don't post that. No, they post the new BMW. They also only post front-on sort of things. Hey, have you ever, women won't understand this, but guys will. Every now and then, I know it's going to surprise you, but guys with their shirt off will stand in front of the mirror and sort of flex, right? Right? And you think, you know what? I think I'm doing okay this morning, right? In in an ultra-fasted, non-wet state, I think I'm doing all all right. But then, have you ever, after looking at yourself like that, have you ever accidentally seen your side profile, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, right? Like, your side profile is nothing like the front profile. Nobody Nobody posts a side profile on Facebook. They post the front profile. I'm so aware of how hideous my side profile is that when I, need it, when I meet a new person, I'm sure they think I'm weird. Like when they move, I just try to sort of move with them, you know? Like, hey, only look at this, right? 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 And so what happens is, oh, you, they post the new house. Hey, check out my new house. You know what they don't post? The payment. Do you know what they post? They post, hey, check out our two-year-old darlings playing, right? When they post pictures of children, they're playing, they're laughing. They never post, hey, last night, hey, check out this scream at 2 a.m. No, they don't do that. Or, or when it comes to romance, right? They'll, they'll, there's a married couple and they'll say, they'll say, here's a photo out celebrating 10 years with my baby cakes. And everything, everything in you goes, ah, right, right? And when, if all you know about their life is what you see on Facebook, suddenly you're thinking, gee, I wish I had a perfect marriage with a perfect house with no financial stress, even though I'm driving a BMW and two-year-olds that never scream. I'd love to have that. Because here's the thing about Facebook, right? Married people post date night. They don't post fight night, right? Right? It just doesn't work, right? And it's just over and over and over again. And then now, like, like I just turned 40, but here's the deal, like, amongst the younger generation, there's actually something now called meta-envy, right? Which is literally envy about envy. And, and here's, here's, here's the way it works, right? I, 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 this might surprise you guys, but I, can I just, I, I'm going to speak for all the older people who are sitting on this side of the room, okay? Right? I, I'm noticing this. There's a huge sort of, like, like honestly, honestly, what's up with you guys? Y'all need to mix a little bit better. But here's the deal, right? right? Can, can, I, can I get an amen from everybody over here? Nobody cares what you ate for supper, Right? So the younger generation goes, you know what? I bet the whole world wants to see a picture of my burrito. <laughs> right? And then somebody else sitting at the table going, oh, no, no, no. I, they're going to they're gonna love this picture of this curry. Check this out. Right? And then there's this unspoken competition. Evidently, when you do that, people can like it. Right? So here's what happens. Right? So... First of all, there's a belief that anybody in the world cares what you had for supper. And can I get an amen that we don't, right? Right? We don't care, right? But then what happens is, is then there's this unspoken competition about who gets the most likes. And you got one person getting envious about another person over the amount of likes they get about a photo that literally no one in the world cares about. And envy goes and goes and goes and goes. And the problem with envy is it's very complicated. Like there's a pecking order. Let, let me see if I can. Like, like there's, there, there's a comparison trap. Uh, the, the, there's physical 
issues, right? So, so, so th- we start noticing people are physically different than us around five or six, and then it stops about death, right? I mean, we can never get away from it. Like, 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 like you know, I, I lost 16 kilos three years ago, and I've been able to keep it off. So I got much, much, much fitter, but there's still, there's still people much more fit than me, and so I can't get stuck in the land of Ur with that. And then, and then, and then I, I, I come in last year. You gotta understand, I, I've been friends with Sharon and Jan for 10 years, but I hadn't seen Jay and Luke for a long time. And then I come in last year, and, and, and Jay's the, the Hulk. <laughs> right? And I'm going, what the, what? You Thor? I, I used to wrestle with them. Nine more. But, but we notice, we, we notice who's Who's, who's better looking and who's not, and it creates all kinds of stuff. Wait, talent and success without considering the price they paid. People say things, that, that people, this happens quite a bit out at the table. People would say, say to me sometimes, gee, Shane, I wish I had your life. Really? Really. I slept in my own bed 27 days all year last year. Sometimes people, sometimes, you wouldn't believe this, sometimes people actually think because I'm up here on the stage that you have a right to ask me personal questions. And let me just be clear, you don't, okay? It's none of your business. But sometimes people ask me real personal questions like, why aren't you married? Okay, first, rude. (laughs) Right? Like, how rude is that? Two, who would marry me? Like, honestly, what's my pickup line to a woman? Hey, see you in a year, baby. Right? Right? Hey, in 362 days, I'm back. What? No woman wants that, right? They, they have no idea the price I've paid to be where I am. None. They just want, they just want what they think they see. It, 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 that creates problems. Education and social circles. Like, oh, if I just had a few more letters behind my name. And look, I have a lot of letters behind my name. And, and, and look, I'm all for education. I am. Get as much education as you can. But honestly, if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Oh, social circles? Oh, I'd love to be asked to that table. You know, that guy got asked to that table, and I'm, I'm smarter than that guy. And I, I know, but, but he's got asked to that table, and I need, to, I need to harm him so they'll uninvite him to the table. As if they uninvite him to the table, suddenly going to mean an instant invitation for you. Envy. Envy. And then it doesn't stop there. there there's like spousal envy, where, you know, a man loses sight of what he has in front of him and has st- a, a lady that has stuck beside him for 30 years and he loses sight of her value because somebody else is a little prettier? Stupid. And then, and, then, and then you start paying attention to the prettier one and then you might even do something really dumb like leave this one for that one for only three weeks in to realize, oh my God, she is high maintenance as anything and I'm praying for a comet to come to earth to bring me sweet relief from her high maintenance-ness and... and Or sometimes women lose sight of how valuable their husband is because the guy down the street makes more money. And, and, we, and we, start, we start comparing that. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. All, all it takes is a women's meeting. All it takes is all it takes. You have a, have a women's ministry meeting, and all it takes is one woman going on and on and on about how awesome her husband is, right? Oh, ladies, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. My husband's so sweet. He has such a revelation of the love of Jesus. He helps around the house. He does his chores. He walks behind me and says nice things. You wouldn't believe how romantic he is. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. My husband just cut his beer habit down to 20 a week. That's my best effort. <laughs> we start comparing that way. Parenting. Oh, 
We start comparing kids. And, and, and most moms think their kids are geniuses. Can I help you with this? They're not. <laughs> right? I saw a video, once again, Facebook. Saw a video on Facebook. It got forwarded around. There was this mom, right? And she was like, how smart is my son? And here's what she was doing. The, the kid probably was not even two. And she's holding up flashcards with letters, right? So, so she held up a B, right? And she goes, what is this? And he went, <laughs> and she went, that's right, B. That kid didn't say B. He said, wah, wah, wah. oh, watch, watch. It's not just B. Here's a G. What is, what is this? <laughs> G, that's right. How smart is my kid? And you're going, what the heck is happening here? Or, or if you work at a school, you've seen this where the moms show up, you know, to pick up their kids. And then there's this envy about which mom, there's this competition about which mom is more there for their kid. And so all it takes is one starting and then the other one, well, I do this. And the other one, I do that. Then in all of this, the real hero of the whole thing, the single mom who's working three jobs trying to survive, shows up and then they look down their nose at her because, oh, oh, you, you, you're here a little bit late. You're not really there for your kid. And then the single mom thinks, you know what? Yeah, I'm not there for my kid, but I'm working three jobs to feed him. And you know what? Your husband secretly hate you because you spend his money all day. Well, anyway, so there's all, there's all of this. Violence. You, you see it. You, ever, you want to see this clearly? Go to a first grade birthday party, like a six-year-old's birthday party. Can we all admit we hate them, right? Not the first graders, the birthday party, right? Like, like, so, so the reason we hate six-year-old birthday parties is you can't leave your kid. You, you can't drop them off and leave 40 kids in there with one adult. Everybody's got to stay. And all it takes is, here's all it takes. And you know, who gets roped into that duty all the time? It's never the dad. It's always the mom. So you got, you got a bunch of moms sitting around, and here's all it takes. All it takes is one mom starting in on how smart their kid is. And then the rest of the moms feel like they have to defend their kid by making them seem smarter. Now, if you're going to do this, don't go first, right? So all it takes is one mom going, gee, uh, yeah, Susie, she really surprised me this week. Man, she found the math homework very easy. That's all I was going to say. Then the next one's like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, Johnny, man, boy, he got his done for the whole week. It's, it's amazing, right? Then the other one's like, oh, yeah, well, Mike Kenny, gee, he figured out the other day that square root of two is an infinite number. It's amazing. I don't know how he figured that out. And, and here's the problem. Here's the problem, okay? Let me let you in on something. You live in New Zealand, right? So there's already an Asian kid sitting in the corner who's figured out the Pythagorean theorem and how it's going to affect how he builds his bunk beds. <laughs> right? And in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this, right, you're like, where's my kid? Where's my kid? And you look around, and amongst all this talk about how smart people's kids are, you find your, ki your kid's in the corner with a bucket on his head, beating his head against the wall, right? And one of the other moms goes, who's the buckethead kid? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know whose kid that is. And before you know it, you're denying the existence of your own kid and devaluing him because you don't feel like he measures up to the other kids. And here's the, here's the thing, right? There are so many couples that would love to have a kid and can't. And they would count the buckethead kid the greatest joy on the planet. Why would we lose sight over the value of our children because of how they compare to other people? And where have our children learned to compare themselves from? Envy. We've got to defeat these things. We've got to defeat these things. Or, or how about spiritual envy, Right? Like, why don't I see things they see in the Bible? How is it that guy, he always says obvious things that are only obvious after he says it? 
Why, why is it, why is it that, that, that literally anything that comes out of his mouth, I'm like, why didn't I think of that, right? Or leadership, or if things just seem to work out for them. Like, there's this guy, there's this guy. Let me tell you about him, okay? He's from, he's from this area of the world. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Brian Houston, right? Have you ever heard of this guy? Amazing, right? Like, no matter what he touches, turns to gold. No, no matter what. And you look at Brian Houston, you think, flip, I think I love God that much. And I think I work hard. And I think I study. And I think I'm decently compelling. I mean, honestly, listen, you could tranquilize Brian Houston, right? And then drop him naked in the middle of Afghanistan, and he'd have a church of 20,000 by December. This guy, <laughs> right? This guy. And you look at that, and you go, you go, Flip. And then the next thing you know, we don't check our envy, and you have people, normally reasonable people, rationalizing starting websites fully dedicated to destroying him. Why? Envy. Brian Houston has forgotten more about what he's done for God than I'll ever do because that's what's on his life. I'm quite positive I don't want it. I celebrate what's on his life. Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, all the rest of them. All these people people love to hate. It's all rooted in envy. Of course, of course you have sort of um, you, you have lifestyle envy, right? And this is like stuff like MTV Cribs, right? Where MT, do you know MTV Cribs? Y'all know MTV Cribs. Yeah, yeah, everybody's over here like, what the heck's MTV? Right, this guy, MTV yeah. Cribs, all right, right. But here's the deal, all right? So MTV Cribs is a TV show. 20 years ago, it was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was that idea where they show you on TV how really, 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 really rich celebrities sort of live. And so what they'll do is they'll say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to show you Shaquille O'Neal's house, right? And, and Shaquille and his house is 44,000 square feet, all right? And it's uh, like 4,400 square meters, a house, right? And, 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 and it's got like 12-car garage, and, and he's got this thing, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and then the intimation underneath it is, is, you know what? If you work hard enough, maybe you. Uh, no. You're not seven foot three. You're not 340 pounds. You don't have 9% body fat and a 44-inch vertical leap. You, it's not going to be you, right? And would you really want it? A 44,000-square-foot home? Who would clean it? That's one. Two, two, if you had a 44,000-square-foot home, there'd be rooms you never walk in. Like, you just lay there at night, like, hearing every noise. That is, like, like what? Workplace? The idea that the next place will be better than this one? Or people leave churches, you know? Why'd you leave? Why, 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 why are you leaving? Because I want to go to a place that's less political. There's too much politics here. Right. So you're going to go to a place with no people and no agendas and no mission and no passion where you go to a monastery? What do you, I mean, honestly, where, where are you going to go? It has all kinds of faces. Now, I want, to, I want to sort of close this out tonight because you might be thinking, Shane, you know what? Honestly, that was mildly entertaining. I, I actually got a good chuckle with that and, um, and actually very educational. But it's still, I have nothing at all about how to beat this. So let me give you a couple things, a couple very practical things on how to beat envy, all right? Number one, we have to realize that re envy is rooted in how we see ourselves, never about what the other person has. Even if you got what they had, you wouldn't feel better about, their self, uh, about yourself. Listen, let's take something I hear all the time, you know, about people wanting to get married, right? Look, a spouse is a good thing to, oh, well, excuse me. A good spouse is a good thing to have, Right? A bad spouse, you'll pray for a comet to come to earth to bring you sweet relief, okay? But a good spouse is a good thing to have, all right? But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Like, there is no such thing as a happy marriage that was made up of two miserable single people. Gee, we hated being single, but man, we found each other. Now, no, what? No, no. 
Like uh, 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 that, that car, the BMW, it's a good thing to have. But if you're not enough without it, you won't be enough with it. It never, it never works that way. Let's say this way. The simplest gospel message is that you're loved while you were imperfect and before you realized any of the potentials of your life. The whole point of the gospel is, is that God loved you before you were in any part or it's in and up, not right and left. Let, let me give you some very practical, practical things that you could do every day. One, gratitude for what is present in your now will break the power of envy, okay? Now, let me tell you what I mean by that, and let me tell you what I don't mean by that. There is a way that I could say something that's true and not helpful. Here's what's true. Everybody take a deep breath in and then out. Okay, that breath was a gift from God, correct? Right? And if God didn't give you anything else, does he owe you anything? No. So if I said, listen, every breath you take is a gift from God and you need to be thankful for it. Is that true? Sure. Is that helpful? Not really. It's not practical, right? And really, let's just be honest. The last thing we want to do is to create a community of people thanking God out loud for every breath right? It would just be weird, right? You'd be walking through the supermarket. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, right? And look, and if that's you, please stop. That's just flipping weird, okay? (laughs) But here's what is practical. What if you set aside, this will break the power of envy in your life. What if you set aside 10 times a day for 10 seconds? It's 100 seconds a day, okay? And the whole point was, without looking in the past and without thinking about the future, you just were thankful for what is in your present right now. If God never added one more thing to your life, would your life still be awesome? And the answer is yes. Now that's hard for faith culture because a faith culture, we're taught at times to call things that are not as though they were. Look and prophesy into your future. Call it, believe God. Now, is that a good thing to do? Yes, and I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just simply saying that's not gonna help your envy problem. What's gonna help your envy problem is outside of all of that. And I want you to keep doing that. But for 10 seconds, 10 times a day, I want you to have this thought, what is present in my now? And begin to give thanks for that. Like if God never added anything to your life, would he owe you anything? Like if you stood before God and said, God, what'd you ever do for me? And God said, you know what? I died for you and I let you be born in New Zealand. Fair enough. And and so what if we just became aware that sometimes, you know what happens 100% of the time with envy? 100% of the time with envy, we lose sight of what's in our now and we want someone else's field. It's bad. You see this, you see this all, all kinds of places with Jezebel and Ahab and the guy, um, what was the vineyard in Naboth, right? They they, they kill him over, the king who owns everything kills a guy over a vineyard. So what if we did that? What what if you just thought, look, we could practice it right now, just for 10 seconds. Why don't you just begin underneath your breath to think about the things that are in your now. Try not to look to the future, just in your present. I can, I can help you. Like, um, um, uh, Lord, I thank you that I don't have a chemotherapy appointment today. Um, Lord, I thank you that my feet work. Um, Lord, I thank you that my hands work, my, uh, my elbow works. It would be horrible if it didn't. Um, uh, Lord, I could take deep breaths. It was just amazing, uh, amazing thing. Um, Lord, I live in a free country um, with uh, paved roads and motor cars and clean water and washing machines and dryers and world-class health care and, and laws that protect the weak against the strong. I, 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 live, I live in New Zealand. Lord, thank you. Th- thank you for that. I, I don't have to worry uh, about being tortured for my faith. I, thank you for that. I don't have to worry about my children being kidnapped by warlords tonight because we live in New Zealand. Thank you for that. You see how quickly your field gets bigger in your mind when you do that? 10 seconds, 10 times a day. Number two is practicing kindness. Just simply doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pick one person 
every seven days. I'm trying to be very practical here. If you one person every seven days do something for someone who can do nothing in return for you. Do something for somebody who could do absolutely zero in return for you. And watch what happens. Watch what happens when you become aware of people who don't have what you have. It, it just breaks the power of envy. You actually feel horrible about ever being envious. It's like, man, look at my life. Like, what, what would happen if we did this? Let, let me say it this way. If envy is a practice of the heart, then so is the solution. Practicing kindness and gratitude in the secret place and in our imagination can set us free from envy. So I want you to do those three things. I want, you to, I want you to make a hard habit for the next 30 days, and it'll break the power of envy in your life. Ten times a day for 10 seconds, be, express gratitude for what's in your now without looking in the future. Once, once a week, once a week, find someone who can do nothing in return for you and bless their life. And then regularly in your imagination, practice kindness and gratitude. And if we can do that, we can break the power of envy in our life. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We proclaim your king. Give us the courage to see things different. The ears of us to respond to what we see. Lord, would you break us free from the power of envy. Lord, may we rule over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your life. I can't wait to see you next year. Grace and peace. God bless. Fantastic. Thank you, Shane. Well, we're going to receive an offering in just a moment to bless Shane and say thank you for being with us for the weekend. So if you could prepare yourself for that, that would be great. Uh, young, young adults, I believe you are meeting at the helm afterwards, after, after this. So if you're a young adult, hang out at the helm. Be great. Can I encourage you on Tuesday night to come out for prayer this week? 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to have a fantastic time. And uh, God is moving in our prayer meetings. And um, it's not just about, you know, head prayers. We really want to encounter the presence, the power of God in our prayer meetings. And I encourage you to come out and be part of that. It would be really good. Can we give uh, Shane one more hand, please? Thanking him for being with us for the weekend. It's great. I hope you got those three things down so that you can practice them this week. That's great. Yeah, thanks, guys. As you receive the offering, let me pray as they continue to receive that. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you've spoken into our world and you've encouraged us, but you've also put tools in our hands. Lord, I pray that wherever we are and whenever we're there, we would be more like Jesus. And the tools that you've put in our hands tonight will really help with that. So thank you. And Father, as we go into our week, I pray your blessing on every person. I pray that every person that hears this would be a carrier of your peace and your mercy and your grace and your kindness. As we go into our schools, our varsities, our workplaces, our clubs, wherever we are, our homes. And that the world will be a better place because of that. So Father, let us walk with confidence as your kids. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic week. As I said, love to see you on Tuesday. How about we finish with a song and be cool.
Yeah. 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 Yeah.